This is the Shift Podcast. I'm Rob Faye filling in for Shane. They might be using the worst passwords ever invented, or at least of the last year. Cybersecurity expert Hank the Hacker will take us through the art of making a good password and how you can avoid making potentially dangerous mistakes. We will also get an inside look at COP15 Biodiversity Summit in Montreal. That is currently taking place with Curtis Hain, who leads the Marine Stewardship Council here in Canada. Tells us the gravity of the situation in Canada's role in tackling climate change. And are you okay with sleigh rides? Just some of the topics that you could find on our podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with sleigh rides? Sleigh rides? EK, I have never been on a sleigh ride. Um, Oh. I've never been on one, but I'd like to talk about my grandpa who kind of did one. It's technically more of a carriage, but it's so cool that it, you know, it sets the music well. My grandpa got married, his second wife, and on the journey to the church, he did it in a, in a sleigh, like in a carriage, a horse drawn. He did what in a like, sleigh? He did it. And I was like, that's the most badass thing I've ever seen in my life. The pictures are iconic and um, might, be worth, uh, might be worth trying, but also it's kind of like he did it, so there's no way I could ever replicate it. Pulled so by horses? Pulled wild. by reindeer? Like, come on, man. I want some substance horses. here. You're pulled by horses. I think it was two horses. It was like a white carriage or a sleigh. I'm pretty sure it was a carriage. But, I mean, it's pretty hard to get on a sleigh. So, uh, yeah. And uh, he had like a tux with like a like a red – I want to say like a red tie. I can't remember. It, pretty, it was pretty amazing. I'll see if I can find the pictures, and I'll post them up at shiftheads.ca. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. So I feel like I'd love to go on like a horse drawn sleigh ride one day though. That'd be if you could really go cool. on a horse drawn sleigh ride with any celebrity, which one celebrity would you get into oh, that sleigh with? That's a great question. I would say, Ooh, who do I want to have a conversation with? Because it needs to, it can't be just in sit and But it's gotta be in a sleigh. Conversation is yeah, a little bit a different sleigh. in a sleigh. I don't want it to be like, it wouldn't be like Will Ferrell be just because he's an elf. You know, it wouldn't be that. Yeah. Wouldn't um, be Mel Gibson, that's for sure. Definitely would not <laughs> be Mel Gibson or Kanye. I would actually say, you know what? Pedro Pascal. Done deal, Pedro Pascal. He's like the most likable guy in Hollywood. He plays the Mandalorian, if you've watched that show. He's also an unbearable weight of massive talent. Last of Us TV show coming up. Uh, that dude is just always smiling. And I feel like I would just make a core memory hanging out with my buddy Pedro on, on a sleigh ride. So Pedro, if you're listening, because I know you do a lot of shooting in Calgary, um, hit me up. Anytime, anyplace, I'll pay for it. I don't care. <laughs> I don't know, Brendan, if I want to ask you about sleigh rides in general or who you'd want to have a sleigh ride with. I've never been on a sleigh ride, so I don't know if I'm okay with them. Um, maybe it'll make me nauseous. I don't know. Probably not. I got a pretty strong stomach. Um, <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like you'd run beside it. Yeah, I'd probably just run. I'd pull in. the sleigh. Yeah. <laughs> Let the horses off. I'll do it. Put the horses in the sleigh. Run. Yeah. Just take one of the electrolyte powder things to just get the little rush of the head and bang. Yeah. You're good. Sure. Yeah. I don't know of a celebrity that I would. Does it have to be a celebrity? No, it'd be anybody. Could it be an author. Like, like yeah, I could do like, there'd be a number of people probably. Like maybe David Bowie. He'd be fun. That's like the biggest yeah. celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does it have to be a celebrity? Fine. David Bowie. Yeah. We're I don't gonna like do any it. ones that are currently alive. Can <laughs> yeah, I none the of the ones, ones that are alive yeah, currently. Because I don't want to waste it. Like the, the sleigh ride part. I don't want to. Like there's tons of celebrities I'd love to talk to, but I don't want to do it in a sleigh. First one <laughs> into the inbox is Jamie Lee Curtis. 
Oh, good one. Yeah, yeah she's, she's awesome. She's dead. She'd be all right. You know, I, I can't have a convo with her for sure. Yeah, yeah. You think you yeah, can fit that in your schedule? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, onward, upwards. Let's move to the next one. Wait, no. Why the story? Do the story. They got to do the story. Why we are we talking to... about sleigh rides? Yeah. Hold on. Why are we? Oh God, I know. There. I always yeah. forget this part. You okay, so, for all of you guys so listening, the no. all the banter. I, don't think <clears throat> I just wanted this to know about story. you guys. I don't care about the yeah. story. Fine. All right, here we go. Can we can we reset this? <clears throat> Sleigh rides are a symbol of Christmas in winter, but unless you're Satna, it's actually Santa, you need some horses for the actual sleigh ride. In Montana, this is the worst story I've ever told in my life. In Montana, some horses needed some help after they were stuck in a very sticky situation. Yeah, unfortunately, it just says clip there. I don't... (laughs) (laughs) You gotta be kidding me. Dude, you could have totally done... Can I be the clip? Can I be the clip? In Montana, some horses needed some help after they were stuck in a very sticky situation. (laughs) That from NBC Montana. Despite being in the freezing water for three hours, the horses are now doing well with strong vitals, looking bright-eyed and affectionate. But still, they've probably earned a break from pulling, say it with me, everybody, a sleigh. Yeah. So the the, the three the three horses fell through some ice and were stuck in the water, and then a bunch of firefighters had to tow them out. That's 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 what happened. Not sure what happened to that clip there. There's a mail it in uh, Friday mail-it moment. I think we yeah. mailed in the whole first. Are you okay? Yeah. That's me. I I always that's forget that there's a story. Okay, fine. Uh, we're all we're all plus one on the golf course yeah. here. Okay, gentlemen, are we ready for this one? <clears throat> yeah. Let me yeah. sit up straight. I got to read a story here eventually. Uh, gentlemen, are you okay? with facebook comments no <laughs> no i think that i at this point facebook except for a couple of places like the 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 shift facebook page is a very positive space because we keep it that way um but for the most part if you go follow anything on facebook you check the comments it's just hate it's just hate it's terrible and i think most places are just turning off comment sections because you know, people feel like they got this invisible wall that they can just spout their garbage out and feel invincible. It's brutal. Brennan? Yeah, I think the comments are the main reason why I don't do Facebook anymore. I think right? the comment section in general is the main reason why I don't do much in the way of social media or anything where it's just like, even on news stories, I'm like, I can see that they have comments at the bottom and I'll read a news story and I'll be like, ooh, this will be controversial. Should I look at the, no, I'm not going to look at the comments. I don't want to never make that mistake. Yeah, don't make that mistake. I mean, for the most part too, it's, let's just say it straight out. It's bots. It's bots that start these arguments and then people, you know, they fan the flames of division. Foreign bots and corporate bots and bots and bots and bots. Lots of bots. Well, people do leave some pretty dumb comments across Facebook. I think we can all agree with that. Some hateful, some are bizarre, some are just baffling. Like this Georgia man who decided he just had to comment on a local police department's Facebook page. A Georgia man's Facebook comment got him arrested. Christopher Spaulding commented, how about me on the Rockdale County Sheriff's most wanted list? The sheriff's office saw it and confirmed Spaulding had two outstanding warrants and replied, we are on the way. Oh, Spal- my gosh. Spaulding was arrested on warrants for felony violation of probation. It's like... 
do. Like, <laughs> what? Just what? Do. Wow. That's unbelievable. That from ABC7. Uh, gentlemen, as of this past Sunday, Spalding's comments had over 1,000 reactions on Facebook. And get this, the comment is still up on the Facebook page. Yeah, his account's still active. And uh, he's, uh, yeah, become a little bit of an internet sensation for all the wrong reasons. Kind of seems like he just wanted to go to jail at that point. Like, no, I'm pretty sure he didn't want to. I think he was just a little too much bravado. See, that's the problem when you go onto social media. You're a keyboard warrior, and that's that's half of it. You think you're invincible until all of a sudden you realize you're not. There we go. That's my yeah. speech on social media. Yeah. I'm going to bed now. Yeah, no, uh, no that's a great point. <laughs> I actually left Twitter last week and feel 10 pounds lighter. Yeah, isn't it oh, great? Oh, did you? I did. I officially yeah. took my account off. I kept my name at Rob Fay. But I said, boys and girls, I'm out. It's no longer an active account. See you when I see you. Is it, what was the, I'm curious, like what the, was there like a final straw or is it nah, kind of like, you know what, think, just, of, I've noticed it's just think of what worse. Twitter is. If, if I can just put this into like a paragraph, Twitter is basically Andrew Tate, Elon Musk, Kanye West, Donald Trump, all the haters of the Canuck Nation, everybody that disagrees with anything that you've ever said, and a bunch of ads. And you know what the worst part of social media is? Is a thousand people saying, stay tuned. Like, that to me is pretty much what Twitter is. Like, check it out. Something's coming up. Tell you later. I'm just like, bro, I ain't got time for this, man. I got two kids. I got a family. I actually want to look at my wife in the eyes once in a while. So I've gotten off of Twitter. It probably saves me about three hours a day. Guaranteed. Wow. Yeah. There I've you go. thinking about it too. Nope. Well, you know what I could do with those extra three hours? Gentlemen, are you okay with nude beaches? <laughs> I don't think I could ever do it. Honestly, I just don't think, I don't think I'll ever feel comfortable. Really? When I was a kid, I was at a beach in Hamilton and uh, I, 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 I would have been like eight years old. And uh, this woman, like probably mid-20s, took off her bra and started suntanning. All her friends were giggling, and I, I saw it. And my dad was like, Ryan, close your eyes. <laughs> Turned me around. And I just I, that's such a core memory. I think it's so funny to look back on that. Isn't but then your... you, go, you look at Europe, and they just don't hmm. care. <laughs> you know? It's just different here. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't your wife Colombian or your, your fiancé or your girlfriend? Or... We're not at that point yet. We're not at that. Come point. on, hurry up! I yeah. want to be right here. No, but okay. Yeah, let's Laura, just say yeah. your your partner is she not yeah, South American? Laura. Yeah, yeah, they're from Colombia. Well, don't they have like plenty of nude beaches down there? See, I just it's mostly just North America that has this crazy like uncomfortable stigma around it. What's our what, puritanical? Yes, puritanical. So I mean, it's just like here. I don't think it's ever going to change here. I don't think it's ever going to change. It's going to always be just like oh, nudity. Yeah, go yeah. to Europe. Oh, oh God, I want to meet the person that has that voice mm-hmm. walking around. Oh, nudity. <laughs> oh, in the like land of movie ratings, <laughs> Europe. Europe seems to have the sex and nudity covered. We just do like the coarse language and violence over here. We don't do the. Yeah, you know, a great example of that is Violet Night, which I just saw, the Violet Christmas movie. That movie is gory, bloody, dozens of people die. It's 14A because there's only a couple swear words and there's no nudity. Yeah. (laughs) Your kids should not see that movie. That's exactly North America to a T right there. We're more more accepting of movies with violence and coarse language than we are of, oh, dear God, the human body. Um, 
But uh, yeah, new wow. beaches. I've been a few times. Um, do you partake fine. or do you just go? I have in the past. Had a boy. Yes. Uh, you got to make sure that you put sunscreen. Everywhere. 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 Otherwise, yeah. sitting down in the car on the way home is just... Tough go. Tough go. And sitting down for the course of the next week was, was a tough go. I learned my lesson that one time. Yeah. I went to Wreck Beach once. Oh, yeah. Got down to my skivvies, didn't go all the way, mesmerized at how many things were for sale down there. <laughs> yeah, that's us. For those who are listening spot. nationwide, Wreck Beach is the farthest point in Vancouver out towards the University of British Columbia. You go down eight gajillion steps, uh-huh. and then all of a sudden you're at a beach that sells weed, hemp, all food, you know, beer, cider, whatever. And it, it's basically like, uh, I don't know, like a flea market with it nudity, is, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Average age, 60-ish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, something like that. This one coming into the inbox. At my age, I think nude beaches are a thing of the past because gravity sucks. Well, I'll tell you <laughs> what. Nude beaches are everywhere around the world, just not so much in North America. But a brand new one is opening up in, in a rather unlikely location. I never would have thought this. This is great storytelling here. In Nantucket, Massachusetts. The speeches on Nantucket are a go. The Attorney General and Governor-elect Maura Healey approved that bylaw today. The town approved it back in May, you may recall, but it required the AG's approval to become law. The goal is to promote equality, so now anyone is allowed to be topless on any public or private beach on the island. Nantucket residents then voted to approve the bylaw amendment during their annual town meeting in May. I feel like it's back in like 1861. Anyways, current (laughs) state laws dictate that only men can go topless in public. Get a load of this. Women can face a penalty of up to three years in prison and a fine of up to $300, but not at this beach. That's ridiculous. That's so stupid, man. Uh, Nantucket. Oh, it is an island. Interesting. So, you know, I will say this about the whole, like, nude beach thing. I don't think it's that big a deal. Like, if you're willing to go down there and bury your assets, then have at it, man. As long as you're not being a jerk down there or you're not Johnny Giggler down there who's sitting right beside the, oh, my God, guy, (laughs) then I think you're in good shape. Yeah. And also people that decide to go to a nude beach, it's like consensual. Like we are all consensually fine to be naked around each other. I have made a choice to be down here. It's not going to infringe on anybody else that chooses to not go to that beach. They're usually a little bit more secluded or they've got some signing like, hey, just so you know, this is what happens here. So, yeah, there's no problem with it at all. Yeah. I'm okay with it. I've got no beef. All right, gents, let's fit in one more. Are you okay with... Salsa. I love salsa. Are we talking salsa the condiment or salsa the type of dancing? Uh, I mean, we yeah. could talk about either, but the food is the is the context in this particular story. Just, just for reference, we're talking about food in this one, um, which salsa salsa is, is, is excellent, but I don't – I need sour cream and salsa. I like to combine the both of them. That's So like present. poor man's borscht. <laughs> Burst. yeah whatever works like i just yeah that's it's good but yes yeah, also uh, but actually a pico de gallo is much better like I, I i you know there's a difference Why? between like there's a difference between like homemade pico de gallo and like a, a jar of tostitos salsa like fresh cilantro fresh tomatoes the all the olive oil like having that on your taco compared to a jar of salsa 
it is night and day. There's yeah, a but reason fresh why salsa. See, you're comparing like a Volkswagen Bug to a Cadillac there. You're saying fresh Pico de Gallo, fresh from the, you know, the back garden or the jar that I find at like the dollar store. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. You caught me there. That's, you know, you, that's I'm just point. saying I'm particular about this. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm the whitest guy in the room, but damn it. I'm in for this salsa stuff. Uh, Brennan, before we get to said story. Yeah, I would say that's probably my number one snack. Chips and salsa. Chips and salsa. I, if I had to live on a certain junk food, it would be chips and salsa. Really? Yeah. That's it for me. Mine would be jujubes. Sugary. Well, this is why you look the way you look and I look the way I look. Which is anyways. Salsa, you know, is necessary for nachos. It's necessary for tacos and pretty much most Mexican food. But the question said, you know, did you read this story? Is it essential for survival? Yes. The answer is yes. How about this? ABC7 reporting that a stranded hiker whose name is Eric, that's a very key part of the story, was discovered on November the 25th by a couple of camping, a couple on a camping trip between Big Bear Lake and Angeles Oaks in SoCal. The only thing that kept him going was a half-eaten jar of salsa. We were underneath a flight path, and a, an airplane went by pretty low, and we heard somebody yelling for help. help. Scott says that person was a man named Eric. And we end up finding him, and my boyfriend's looking over the ridge and, and calling out, like, hey, I see you. He had a, a stick with a water bottle on it, trying to signal. <laughs> um, he couldn't walk. He, his story. feet were, were extremely... Um, swollen and infected uh, just from walking so much and possibly the cold where he was. Scott says Eric told them he survived off half a jar of salsa. My boyfriend calls out to him and, and says, hey, are you okay? Do you need help? He said, yeah, I've been here for two weeks. Um, I, I can't, nobody, nobody's heard me. I can't walk. From Oceanside and got lost while hiking. The guy's been away for like, what, a couple of days? And the person yells down to him, hey, do you need anything? It would have been so awesome if Eric said, yeah, more chips. Anyways, <laughs> local county fire protection district battalion chief Mike McClintock, no relation to Johnny McClintock, confirmed to publications outside that a rescue crew was sent to the remote area where Eric was found, but an airlift was eventually then sent to remove him from the area. McClintock said Eric had minor injuries, but he's in good health. So uh, I, I guess if he's got half, he was rationing, correct? No, I believe that when he got lost, only half of it was left. Oh, no. So he was even in a bigger crisis. The better question is, after a night like that, or two weeks like that, do you ever have salsa again? Or is it gone forever for you? Like, I don't think I could eat it again. Uh, It would depend. Like, if it was the... If I had multiple jars of salsa, say I was lost at sea and all I had was salsa <laughs> to survive on. What for, boat are you on? Yeah, just like a salsa barge or something. Um, <laughs> then I would probably say no to salsa again in my life. Like if all I yeah. had to eat was salsa. But just a little half a jar? No, probably. Knowing me, who loves salsa, chips and salsa, I'd probably crack open another jar and go at it again during the commercial break i'm totally looking up salsa cruises and we're going on one (laughs) this isn't the salsa i was thinking anyways this is the shift podcast it's kind of been in my head the entire break 
Do my passwords check out? Do I have the right passwords? I've been very fortunate, knock on wood, that to this conversation, very rarely have I had to worry about my passwords. And it's not because I got some outlandish one, but I've just been, I guess, okay. But maybe it's time that we figure out passwords and much more and make sure that you're all up and up as we head into the holiday seasons where hackers are just itching to get into your data. It is time for our insider, Hank the Hacker. System breach. What just happened? Someone hacked me! All right, one, two, three, four, zero, 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 zero. Obviously, not ones that I want to use. Hank, how are you doing, fella? Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Oh, it's no problem. I, I would do it just for the intro. The f- <laughs> everything else here is just kind of gravy for me at this point. Hank, tell me that my password is good enough because I know that there's good passwords and there's not so good words. Uh, how, do we, how do we decipher this to make sure that we're safe through the holiday seasons and beyond? You know, I, I guess it's a good idea to start with what, what makes a bad password and uh, working in cybersecurity, I've seen way too many examples of this. But um, and of course, with this this list of two hundred bad passwords that was released by NordVPN uh, re- recently. But um, the the kicker is is people still using passwords like password one two three and and seasonal passwords like winter twenty twenty two and of course twenty twenty three coming up soon here. But um, I think that while we should also be focusing on creating strong passwords, companies should also start creating strong default passwords for customers because, um, you know, I think of, I think of Shaw, I don't know how many listeners I'm going to kind of make the hair stand up on the back of their neck here, but if your password starts with two, five, one, one, then you should probably change it. And uh, that's for like Shaw Wi-Fi, of course, but uh, companies and, and people using these weak passwords has been around for a long time. And because of this, hackers have massive lists. There's lists like collection number one through four and and a, a famous one called Rock You that just have a, enormous amounts of like the most popular and most reused passwords. And it kind of makes their job a lot easier. But in, in terms of a, a good password, it, it's such a, like an obfuse question. And, and it's kind of like a cat and mouse game because it's, it's always changing. And my advice on this, I find, is always changing as well. But um, one really good piece of advice that I, I was talking to my friend Cordell earlier about was making passwords that match kind of a, a quote. And this is a piece of advice that I used to give students uh, when I was training cybersecurity is kind of picking a quote like, um, you know, I have become destruction bringer of death, maybe a poor example. But if, if you abbreviated this down to, um, you know, I-H-B-B-D, and then some unique number or something that was unique to you, then it makes it so even if you become a part of one of these breaches or a part of one of these lists, people can't guess 
other passwords that you've made using the same pattern and uh, as well as like including symbols and stuff in your password, a, a really good symbol to include in, in your password that I've never really seen people using. And I, I haven't seen too many experts trying to preach is just adding a comma into your password. Usually when, when hackers create these databases, they're using uh, spreadsheets. And so when if you insert a comma in your password, it actually breaks their spreadsheet and it, it'll make it so if they're using you as a victim, uh, they might not be so successful if it's not as sophisticated as a hacker. That right there is good enough for me just on its own. I, You know, I'll tell you this. As a guy that is a complete novice in the world of cybersecurity, I would say that a lot of us try to just do things that we'll remember or are easy to input. You know, for example, you're on your phone. You don't want to have to do the shift and bring up the whole second set of keys and what have you. So... I don't know. I, I, I the, the comma thing makes a ton of sense to me, and I, I wouldn't have even thought of it because the comma you don't find one through zero on your um, on your keyboards. So that's an intriguing one. You know, one like a really kind of just on the top of the list here. There's a, a website called PasswordMonster.com, and it'll actually let you check the strength of of a password pattern that you're creating. And it'll tell you how long it would take a hacker with good equipment to crack that password. But um, there, there's also other things you can do, like using other keyboard languages in your password. A lot of um, English word lists, we call them word lists, that these, it's kind of a list of all the passwords you can collect. Um, a, a lot of them don't contain any passwords from other languages, unless, you know, you're it's a, a foreign hacker or whatever. But... Uh, there's tons of little tricks that that you can do with with generating a password and and kind of without giving out too much of of my pattern. A really good one that I've thought of and that I've given to people before is, um, and it's really easy to remember is take the the platform that you're trying to generate a password for. Like say you're trying to make a password for Facebook. Um, it's, you can take the first chunk of the service, so FACE, and make that all capitals, or alphanumeric, so F at CE, and then make the book lowercase and pick a unique identifier. So maybe comma, 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 and then and then your birth date, if, if you prefer that. And um, just entering that into Password Monster, if we do Facebook, comma, comma, comma. Oh, you're doing it right now. I love this. <laughs> I'll use like a random <laughs> uh, a random kind of ID for my own, but it says the time to crack that password pattern is 2,000 years. And of course, that's with my own kind of identifier on there. But so if someone was trying, if they got a, a hashed version of your password from a dump and, and they were trying to crack that and get the plain text English version of your password, it would take them 2,000 years. So it, it all of a sudden becomes not that worth it anymore for the hacker. It's a really interesting conversation because I think we look for simplicity. So I want to get into the next phase of this. I mean, we're talking about passwords and, and safety and cybersecurity. 
let's get into two-factor authentication because to me, that second one, as tedious as it is, has really made it a little bit harder. Whether it is uh, getting a text to your phone, whether it is your, you know, your face getting scanned, your retina, whatever you, you know, whatever it is, has that really kind of put the ball back into the hacker's court, or is that just another hurdle they're more than willing to jump? You know, I'm excited to see a passwordless future because every time I, I always push two-factor authentication. I think that it's very important that users enable two-factor authentication, but um, it was it's a hacker's job in a cybersecurity company when, when we're running simulations to be able to bypass um, two-factor authentication, and it's actually not very hard at all. And so you can imagine that mm-hmm. someone who has some kind of financial motivation they're even like they're just as as motivated to to bypass that two factor but something that you can do to put yourself at a huge advantage with two factor is um go into your account and you know every 30 and 9 or 90 days if if you can kind of if your memory allows it uh change your password but um, on top of changing your password, what what that does is it kills all the previous logins. So, like when you log into Facebook, it, it creates a thing called a cookie, and you can picture it just like a, a cookie, a chocolate chip cookie. And on this cookie, it's got your password. It, it's got all this information about when you logged in there. And if I get this cookie, that means I can also be you. I can go to that website and say, well, I'm Rob, so I should be logged into Rob's Facebook. Um, But if you go into your account and some different platforms handle this differently, but for I'll use Facebook again as an example, um, you can actually go to your security settings and log out of all the existing sessions. And that actually kills the cookie uh, or the session token so that you know, if any hackers were able to get a hold of your cookie and at any point, maybe you were browsing on a public Wi-Fi network or something, um, then once you do that action, once you log out of all sessions or you change your password, it actually kills all of those previous cookies hmm. so they can no longer use it to log in as you. Hank, I'm going to go to the inbox here. You've uh, definitely piqued some people's interest. I'm just going to read it to you, and maybe you can help one of our listeners out. This gentleman says, I'm 74 years old and figured out how I'm always getting hacked. Enter that 2511 password, and you're in. Click wireless and scroll down, and at the end is your new password. So the question that he's asking you, Hank, is how do you change the 2511 number so he's not providing his neighbors with the Internet? So here's the beauty is that it used to be a lot um, a lot harder to change your password on your modem. You kind of had to find the this thing called a default gateway and get in. But to make it short and sweet, um, you can actually download an app called um, SHA Home. Uh, they also have like SHA Blue Curve and different apps. But that app will allow you to change your modem's password. You can also contact them through their support if you're with you're with Shaw, and they'll walk you through or even change it for you while you're over support so they can help you with that as well. So if you're listening, I hope that uh, that helps you. Another one says, in regards to cookies, is it not sufficient to simply clear your cookies? Um, if you clear your... So think of it this way. So... 
if you clear your cookies and that hacker already has a copy of one of those cookies, all, all clearing your cookie cache in your browser does is it deletes all of those. So you would no longer have a hold of that cookie. In some cases, it's actually more dangerous to do that without killing the cookies or killing the session token because uh, with some services, the cookie can have a, a lifespan or kind of like a expiry of up to 60 years. So if, if you know, if you chain, like delete your cookies, you clear your cookies and you never change your password ever, then that pass that that hacker that has that cookie will constantly have the ability to access your account and you won't even know even if you have 2fa enabled that's actually a little bit scary <laughs> like that one straight up really you know i always think if i go in and i you know clear my my browser and get rid of the cookies that i'm in the clear but that is obviously just you know peeling one layer of the onion back is it not I, it it kind of helps you in terms of like removing the cookies from the cookie jar. Like if I can't have them, no one can. And um, but it's also important that like you go in to your account into your security settings and to to kill those cookies, you either make a habit of changing your password every thirty to ninety days, or if the platform allows the feature. Um, then you go into your security settings and click like for Facebook, it has a log out of all sessions button. So I guess my last question for you, Hank, and I do appreciate your time this evening. Walk me through the next generation. Like obviously we're starting to see things like retina scan. We're starting to see facial ID and all the things that we assume are what the world is going towards. But it just seems naive for me to say that, you know, based on quote passwords and things that we're just, you know, putting in, what are we going to go to? What is five years, 10 years down the road look like? Or can we even think that far with today's technology? I I love that you ended that by saying, can we even think that far? Because I get a shiver up my spine when you ask that question. Like a, a passwordless future is not what not what we're thinking. It's not what Microsoft is advertising. It's not what Google is saying. It like It is going to be a whole different pie, so to say. Like, and... Sometimes I think, you know, biometrics in terms of your eyes and fingerprints and whatever. But um, I also kind of pivot to thinking, you know, and I, I hate to br bring them up, but Elon Musk's Neuralink, things like that, uh, they enable whole new platforms for technology to, you know, to to allow authentication. And while I'm not, I'm not about to go get um, any of that technology installed in my brain, I think that um, in the next 10 years, it wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see that kind of biometric authentication exist. But in the meantime, and leading up to, I think that we're going to start to see um, a lot more of, uh, you know, authentication that relies on on some form of real life, unique identity. So uh, again, biometrics, your, your eye, your fingerprint, um, or, or etc. Interesting. I think there's going to be a whole generation of people, myself included, that might have a real tough time getting to that layer. But uh, you know what, Hank, thank you for your time. By the way, I want to say to the person who was 74 years old and was asking about the 2511, that is a, uh, a lady. I apologize. But Hank, you helped her out. She said thank you as well. And thank you for everything that you did for this segment. Let's talk again, shall we? Thank you. My pleasure. 
This is The Shift Podcast. All right, welcome back to The Shift. Rob Faith filling in for Shane Hewitt. And, uh, you know, one thing I have to say is when you do the evening show, it's great because you can get into a whole variety of topics, including something that I think we should all really be paying attention to right now. Justin Trudeau is saying that right now, nature is under threat. And I think we've all kind of heard this. We all know it in the back recesses of our mind. But let's get into it. Curtis Hain, who leads the Marine Stewardship Council in Canada, kind enough to join me here. Curtis, good evening. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you, Rob. Well, let's talk about this, because when the prime minister of any country comes forward and says, quote, nature is under threat, that is alarming. It is. And I I, I do think it's pretty well recognized. There's a lot of trends we're seeing of just destruction of nature. Um, there's some, some a recent study by World Wildlife Fund showed that about 70% of the population sizes of, of wildlife, or 70% of wildlife populations have been um, basically erased since 1970. Um, and then we're seeing those trends in the ocean. The Marine Stewardship Council is a global nonprofit that works on seafood sustainability. So the oceans are true, tr- 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 near and dear to our heart. And um, they're, they're really important ecosystems, cover 70% of the earth. Um, they're the largest big largest ecosystem in the world, and they're under threat as well. We're also seeing very similar trends. 15% of all marine species are at threat of extinction. When I think of the oceans, I think of finger pointing, because I know that there's certain countries that adhere to the policies, and there's certain countries that try to push those parameters as far as they can, and sometimes they step over it. If we were to get past the finger pointing, for lack of a better phrase, and just get into the solutions... What would it take to fix this ecosystem? I like that approach, Rob. Um, as an organization, we try, try to celebrate the leaders. And we're, we're, we're talking in Canada right now. The COP conference is being held in Canada. Canada tends to be a leader um, in sustainable fishing. Um, across the globe, 15% of all fish stocks are certified as sustainable. Um, Canada's at about 61%. So our leader. But really, I think the reason for COP um, and the reason there's there's almost uh, de- there's delegates from almost 200 countries coming together, and that's because it is a worldwide problem. All of our oceans are connected. We really have to rally around this. I think the biggest thing coming out of COP that we're looking forward to see is meaningful target set. Um, so they're trying to halt biodiversity loss by 2030, and biodiversity is the variety of life living on Earth. They want to halt that loss by 2030 and then reverse that loss by 2050. So it's ambitious, but to get there, we need ambitious targets and we need to hold ourselves collectively accountable against all of those targets. I think that's the most essential piece. Is there a way to get through all of the chaos that we see online and the the numbing down of this and really try to, in its simplest way said, really alarm people that this is something that has to be dealt with now? Well, it's truly a crisis, um, honestly. In the oceans, we, we, we assess uh, 2,000 2, more species that we didn't know about every single year. So we're at risk of losing species we don't even know about. Um, so that's, that's, to me, the most alarming thing in this. We're, we're losing biodiversity we don't actually know anything about. Um, so it is, it is truly alarming. I think there's little things. I mean, I'm not going to let governments and delegates off the roof that are off uh, off the hook because they they need to make meaningful progress and make meaningful clip commitment. But there there is some optimism in all of this as we're seeing trends. If if you can fish the ocean sustainably, ecosystems can rebound and fish stocks can rebound. Um, so there's there is positive signs as well for your listeners. I mean, there's little things you can do. Be cognizant of your carbon footprint. Look for sustainable seafood when you're out shopping. Um, buy, 
kind of avoid single-use plastics or, or do, uh, recycle them. Um, there's little things that all contribute um, to, to turning these, these horrible trends around. But I get it. There's so many issues we're constant, constantly bombarded with. One, obviously, is fishing and trolling and just, you know, pillaging, for lack of a better phrase. And the other is what we're putting back into the ocean. You know, it's it's great when you see somebody doing good and pulling some, you know, certain plastics out of the ocean and trying to clean it up. But, you know, I always thought that it was an interesting, I think it was 2019, somebody from the UN said that we're treating our oceans like a toilet. Mm-hmm. And that resonated with me because it's like, gosh, it's not just what we're pulling out, but it's what we're putting back in. And that's something that we have to address as well. hundred um, percent. We can't just try and fix the problems. We've got to solve them at their source. And on overfishing, I mean, two of the biggest, um, I guess, uh, drivers of biodiversity loss in our oceans are overfishing. The UNFAO shows that 35.4% of fish stocks globally are overfished. And that's a trend that continues to worsen every time they redo the report. Um, so that's a trend we've got to halt. Bycatch, um, so that's unintended catch when they're actually going out and seeking um, what they're trying to catch. Um, that's another driver of biodiversity loss in our oceans, and that's got to be minimized. Um, again, little things your listeners can do is look for that bluefish eco-label. Um, that means it's MSC certified in your grocery store. That means that they're um, keeping a healthy fish stock. They're not overfishing. They're minimizing environmental harm, so minimizing bycatch. Um, also, marine pollution, we also look at that in our standards, things like ghost gear, discarded fishing gear is a big polluter of the ocean and cause problems. Um, and then looking at habitat damage. And then the, is that fish fishery effectively managed? Um, so, so really, it's just getting um, more involved, more educated about the issues, and also looking for credible eco-labels. There's a lot across different sectors. So just doing some of your online research, every single eco-label should be able to demonstrate their impacts. Um, that they're making a difference because that's what matters at this point. We're in a point of urgency. We always all, all have to be pointing towards making meaningful impact on the water or on land. You talk about COP15, the UN Biodiversity Conference in Montreal, where everybody comes together. And I mean, everybody, there's a lot of countries at this. We talk about negotiations, and that is always a slippery slope when it comes to bringing so many people together at the same time who might have different needs, different desires. I mean, you've got landlocked countries that are involved. You've got a lot of different people who are going to need to get on board with this. But let's focus on Canada. You say that we're a leader. You say that Justin Trudeau, for the most part, is on board, not to put words in your mouth. It looks like we're on the right track. Is there something that Canada can do in these negotiations that can maybe help steer some other countries that maybe don't have the same vested interests that we do as a country with water all around us to try and rally the troops, so to speak? I think having COP based in Montreal is a real, real uh, opportunistic moment for Canada to show leadership to other countries. Um, I've had the pleasure of working in developing and developed nations. So I work in Canada. I've also done some work in the Philippines. Um, one of the trends we're seeing is actually giving some of these developing nations the tools to actually help conserve their biodiversity and even at times funding. That's probably a large need is actually providing resources to countries. This is a global issue. Um, um, When we look at our oceans, they're all connected. So we can't just operate in the bubble. And I think it's showing leadership, showing support, and then also pushing for more meaningful targets that we hold ourselves accountable to. Um, I think that's the biggest thing we can do is is create meaningful targets. The MSC certification globally is is likely going to be one of those indicators, um, a supplementary indicator of protecting marine biodiversity. Um, We ourselves as as an organization have this goal to reach uh, and certify 
um, 30, uh, one third of all fisheries by 2030. Um, so again, we're holding ourselves to an ambitious goal. We're going to monitor every year and we're going to try and reach that goal. But I think that's what we all have to do is just reach high and, and try and get there. Curtis Hain is with the Marine Stewardship Council here in Canada. One more for you, Curtis, and I appreciate yep. that. I can just feel your passion when we have this conversation. You got into this for a certain reason. Obviously, you love it and you hold it near and dear to your heart. What are some of the changes that you've seen in the years that you've been associated with this organization? Well, there's a lot. So I, I think there's positives and there's negatives. Um, the positives are is that um, consumers are really rallying around the need for sustainability. We, we, we pull consumers all the time. And there's this association the average Canadian makes with their own health to planetary health. So there's this understanding that for us to be healthy, we need a healthy planet. So to me, that's a really critical piece and a big change I've seen in even the last 10 years. Um, the downside is, I think, with geopolitical instability, uh, with competition for fixed resources and all of these different risks, I think there's the, the tendency of humans to over-exploit. Um, and that's, again, why our, our, our organization exists, is to try to provide a framework to incentivize people doing it the right way. Um, but I, I think we have seen some worsening trends, like I talked about in overfishing. Um, and really, we've got to stop those um, if we're going to remain healthy and have thriving oceans. How do you approach the children? I, I mean, we're sitting here, I'm in my late 40s, I'm not going to ask, but you know, I've got two teenage kids and they've got their heads buried in their phones for 80% of the day, or at least that's what it feels like. How do you approach this next generation to get that same message across? Well, I think this next generation is much more tuned to the environment and sustainability issues. Um, so that's that's good. Um, but I don't think we should let this current generation off the hook either and, and say, oh, we'll leave it to the younger generations to fix all the problems we've created. Um, so we've got the urgency starts now um, and the future starts now. So we've got to um, also work on educating younger consumers, talk to them about the issues, but then also empower them. Um, they'll find their own solutions. They'll find their own path. Um, and it's just really keeping this momentum moving forward. It's all of us. It's not just on, on the younger generation, but I think we should have a lot of hope um, considering how attuned they are to the environment. Well, I think there's a lot of people who can learn online. I think your website, msc.org, that's Amazon Mary, S is in Sam, C is in cat.org, can kind of give everybody at least an outline about what we're talking about. But Curtis, what a thrill to have you join me. And you know what I love is that you pair the negative with the positive so that there's something we can all take away and uh, and at least kind of get off on the right foot. But you're right. It's great that this is happening in Canada and Montreal. And it's nice that everybody's coming together and at least looking. And don't give up on the goals of 2030, by the way. I'm, I'm you with you on that. I think <laughs> I know you said that those are lofty, but uh, they are doable if you guys do it collectively. So thank you, Curtis, for your time tonight. Thanks for the conversation, Rob. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 